Don't be you and your customer on opposite sides of the table facing each other. Pull their debt, their seat next to yours. Now you're on the same side of the table facing the problem together. Hello and welcome to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. I'm your host, Amy Woods, founder of Content 10X. And in this episode, I speak to Brendan Hufford. Brendan is an incredibly experienced growth marketer with extensive experience leading winning content campaigns. After spending the first decade of his professional career as a high school teacher and an assistant school principal, Brendan went on to lead an SEO team at two agencies, later working as a growth content marketer at Active Campaign, a software platform combining email marketing, CRM categories, and more. In 2021, he founded Growth Sprint where he works with SaaS companies helping them scale from 10 million to 100 million annual recurring revenue. Now in this conversation, Brendan and I discuss what it takes to scale a SaaS business, including how to effectively outsource your content marketing or not, as the case may be, why understanding your customer is key to increasing customer numbers and ultimately retaining them, and so much more. It's a fantastic conversation. Let's dive in. Brendan, welcome to B2B Content Strategist. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you. So up until recently, you were working at Active Campaign as Growth Content Marketer. Can you just firstly tell us a little bit about your role and also a few sentences about Active Campaign, just in case anybody listening, probably everybody does know what Active Campaign is, but for anyone who doesn't as well, just a bit about Active Campaign as well. Yeah, let's start there. So prior to Active Campaign, I was the SEO director at two different agencies. And when I left my second agency to go to Active Campaign, it was a B2B SaaS marketing agency. And I told people, I'm going to Active Campaign. Half the people I worked with were like, that's amazing. What a cool company, big company, a lot of customers. Congratulations. Half the people I worked with, again, these are B2B SaaS marketers, were what's active campaign. And I was like, that's the problem I'm going there to solve. Like, we have tons of traffic to the blog, all this, like a huge brand, hundreds of thousands of customers, like, but still half of the B2B SaaS marketers didn't, had never heard of it. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. So that was the problem that I was going there to solve. And if people are like, I've never heard of Active Campaign, that's totally fine. It's a huge company, but it, people don't know about it compared to a MailChimp or something. My role there was really interesting. So it was not the role that I initially interviewed for. I went there. I had been in a leadership position in my education career, which preceded my marketing career. I was in a leadership position in two different agencies. And I was frankly like really done leading people over my day. Like I was tired of my day being like spreadsheets and meetings and I wanted to make stuff again. So I went there and got to work with an amazing manager. His name is Benjamin Elias. He's at Podia now. Working there with him, my role was growth content marketer. So it was a lot of what do you want to work on? Because I have a very, I call it like a deep generalist skill set, right? Like I can set up email automations, I can copyright, I can create content, I can run your podcast, I can do your YouTube strategy, Pinterest. Like I have a very deep well of knowledge just from like trying stuff so much over the years. So it was a lot of let's set out the roadmap together. 
We're not going to do KPIs and traffic and leads and things like that necessarily to start. It was very much like, where are the opportunities coming like with fresh eyes, which I think is a really smart thing to do. Anybody hiring somebody should allow them to do that, like fresh eyes, kind of what are the opportunities here planning? And then we just went from there. What did the team look like that you went into? Was it a growth content marketing team or what was the kind of structure like for that active campaign? The structure was we had a couple people on our team. It changed. So I came into a content team that like turned into a quote growth team. But the way I think about the way I define growth is the way my friend like Andrew Kaplan would define growth, right? He is a growth person. He works much more on the product side and like product led growth. And he thinks about growth that way of like activation and like retention versus my side, which is much more acquisition. And that's where a lot of my focus had been for a long time. So we called it a growth team, but it's like a job description for a growth marketer. And then you're like, okay, but what is this really? And you scroll down a little bit and you're like, oh, they run ads. You're calling it a growth marketer. They do ads. It can mean a lot of different things. So the, the growth team, the content team that I joined was myself. Um, like I said, my manager who was also like writing, he was the manager of like 10 to 15 people, but also writing most of the copy on the website and things like that. We later hired a copywriter somebody to do partner content and kind of support the other teams. We later ended up hiring a couple more writers in-house just to work on other initiatives. The biggest thing that we were trying to prevent was becoming what I call like a service org, meaning basically everybody just comes and tells you what to do. We knew that we could lead and be successful with the team that we had. It was pretty small team, actually. I was really surprised when I came in how few creators we had. And what was the overarching content strategy, like the current priorities for the types of content and the focus on content medium, format, platform, that kind of thing? The When I came in, it was very much a, what do you see the opportunities being? And then I honestly came in and did a lot of housekeeping for six months, moved us, moved myself into a sprint format instead of just being like, I'll do like X number of widgets per week, which is the way a lot of content people are. It's like this many blog posts or whatever. I was like, here's all the things I want to do. And we just set dates and a timeline. And I just kept going through them. But it was a lot of like refreshing, like they hadn't refreshed old content ever, literally ever. So we like saw a huge traffic increase from that. We had a glossary that had never been optimized. Let's go through and optimize that and really thoughtfully build it out. Traffic shoots up. So those really easy wins coming in right away were really important. And then from there, this is something that I push back a lot on because the majority of our traffic, and I think this is true in a lot of companies, comes from blog posts that are purely vanity. So if you looked up, if you look up active campaign and, and anybody can do this in any SEO tool, you'll see our biggest traffic blog posts are what is an SDR that doesn't turn into revenue or an email marketing tool, right? What is an SDR company slogans? And then I think it's like types of research has nothing to do with the product. Those people will never become customers, but we are addicted to this traffic number and we and people inside the company, marketing leadership, have made promises that traffic will continue to grow. This is a huge mistake because that traffic, we had what I call the great traffic panic of 2021 when all those like vanity blogs lost traffic and everybody freaked out and panicked. And it was a huge fire drill for like months to figure out how to get the traffic back. And we were all, there was a group of us, very small but loud group, a small vocal minority going, 
raising our hands being like this this doesn't matter this is a waste of time let's let them die off they don't mean anything like we're not going to delete them because they have backlinks and they do seo things sometimes but who cares let's focus on our other things so i think the biggest thing that i push for which is something i think more companies need to think about is aligning how you make money to what you create so for example active campaign does not get paid they, like we fancy ourselves like a marketing automation tool, which we do have great automations and an email marketing tool. And we do great stuff with email, but we think we, the way our content strategy had been built was let's teach people how to run a small business. Let's teach people how to use email. Let's teach people how to make more money with email, things like that. I think that's a mistake. The way we get paid at active campaign is based on contacts. So the more contacts, which is true of almost every email marketing tool, right? The more contacts you have, the more we make. And we can generally say the, the bigger your email list, the more money you're going to make generally, right? There's a lot of, if you do like a hundred giveaways and you get a 10,000 person email list and all they want is another giveaway, it's not a lot of money. But I really push for let's fully own every topic and subtopic around how to grow your email list. And that will not only increase our acquisition, it'll also increase our retention because people will stay with us because they're growing their email list through the company that they use. And that then informs future products. It increases our like net revenue retention rate, like how much the accounts, like the account that came in on the lowest plan is now in the biggest plan because we've helped them grow their email list. And I think we, the more that active campaign can focus on that going forward, the more successful it'll be as a company. And I think a lot of companies can learn from that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just completely agree with everything that you said. It's just so important, isn't it? If you get the high traffic to that kind of content, then everything else, all the other SLAs that you're looking at are more important are going to start going up as well. When everybody was focusing on those vanity posts and then had the, the big traffic freak out of 2021 that you said, what, obviously... I completely agree with you. Like traffic, it, it, there's good traffic and bad traffic, isn't there? So just fi fixating on traffic that isn't actually leading to conversions and sales is just vanity. But what was the other key metric that you th was just being like forgotten about with that? Well, I guess it's conversion rate, isn't it? Traffic conversion rate and um, not focusing on that percentage. So there was a group of people on the team that were myopically focused on traffic. That's all they cared about. Then there was a group of people that were myopically focused on MQLs and leads. But, and we're, we have a free trial. So that's how the product is built. It has a product led growth kind of motion, even though we do have a sales led motion within the company as well. The issue that would arise is that the leads were converting at 0.1%. So not like, 0.1, which would be 10%, like one-tenth of 1%. And it was like, what are we doing here? Like we, and they're like, we'll increase the conversion rate and all these other things. And it's, I think we need to refocus and let's actually look at revenue and let's look at how we're helping our customer that refocusing. So I, I think traffic is great. I think leads are great. Let's have some ideas there. But I think if you're going to play the, the conversion game, then you have to focus on revenue. The other option is to let go of the conversion game. And instead of doing demand capture, which is again, like I'm an acquisition person, demand capture has been a lot of my work. Let's start also exploring demand gen, like demand create. How do we create more demand for our product and not tie that to 
how many leads did it get? I'll give you an example. We, I've, I like a good marketer filled out all the forms on the website. I want to experience all the ways that we're using our product and what happens. Well, under every blog post, there's a literally a box that said, get updates. I thought to myself, surely nobody is filling this out. What do we like? My, my initial kind of hypothesis was like, let's get rid of this and put something better there. So I, in this, anybody who's worked in a big company knows how this probably went. I filled it out. Nothing happened. So I went to the email team and I was like, Hey, I filled this out. Nothing happened. And they're like, Oh yeah, we don't send anything for that. Okay. Problem one. And then I was like, well, how many other people have filled it out a week later? That takes them a week to get the data, big company problems. They're like 22,000 people have filled that out. 22,000. I, Amy, 22,000 people had asked us to send them a newsletter about our blog. And we were not doing, and we are a tech, we're an email software that says you can send newsletters, but we don't have a newsletter. And I was like, perfect. What a perfect demand gen opportunity, right? Let's have a best in class newsletter. And the problem is I mentioned that there'd been a transition over time in leadership. Immediately, the question was, we want your hypothesis on open rates, click rates. How much traffic are you going to drive to the website? How many leads is that newsletter going to generate? So this isn't lead gen. This is demand gen. We're proving we want everybody in the world to be like, oh, I want a newsletter like active campaigns. We want all, everybody in the world to aspire to be as good as our, it's like how intercom was with content and content marketing for a long time didn't relate to their software. So it wasn't super helpful, but like everybody loved the intercomp blog. Everybody Basecamp is another great example, right? Like people loved the content for years. And like, when you have that world-class stuff, people talk about you and they're like, oh, cool. It's demand gen. Wasn't able to pull the trigger on the newsletter because of that. But I think that was like another piece of like on the content side that could have been, and I would still argue would be really valuable. Yeah, 100%. God, all those people giving you the opportunity to keep in touch with them via email like that and squandered away to shame. I also, I found things like 75,000 people had been on a thank you page that literally just said, thank you, get a demo. I was like, I think we can do more with this. It, it literally hadn't converted more than like 10 or 15 people out of the 75,000 because they just, we we're just sending everybody there. And it was like, I think there's better options here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your your new venture, so Growth Sprints. So uh, you, I know that you say that you use a four-part SaaS growth framework to take SaaS companies from 10 million to 100 million annual recurring revenue. How's that all going? What's it the, your role look like there and your, your focus, et cetera? Yeah, so I think like the, the bridge is... It's been a lot of fun, really interesting to come into companies and find those opportunities. The same thing my brain naturally did when I was at the two previous agencies, when I was at Active Campaign with all the clients I've worked with over the years, just to come in and be like, oh, that's an opportunity. Again, like those fresh eyes and doing all of the things like getting a demo. What does that process look like? Trying the, the free trial of the product, right? Things that marketing may not touch or maybe hadn't looked at in six or 12 months. And it's, oh, cool. Here's a, some really big wins. I always do that as a matter of course, but really like growth trends came out of me being in the agency world and feeling really strongly that the model was broken. This idea that it always has to be uh, six or 12 month contracts. And we were going to try to renew you forever. 
it broke my little marketer heart when like my young little young marketer heart when I first <laughs> got into marketing I was literally on the train we were talking about Chicago earlier I was driving or riding on the train home from work one day and I had this thought that like on a long enough timeline every client will fire me because we're going to try to renew them forever so the only way an agreement ends is if they hate me and fire me or something bad happens in their business and I'm like oh my god my whole life is going to be bad outcomes on a long enough timeline. I lose every time. And I was just like, oh, this is problem. This is bad. There's got to be a better way. And I thought about it. Growth rents came from wanting to throw that model out the window. I saw a lot of SEO agencies. They do most of their work in the two, first two or three months. And then it's a lot of like hand waving and looking busy and people can see I'm doing air quotes reporting. <laughs> and then like month 10 and 11, it's, we got to do something again. Cause we're going to, we got a renewal conversation coming up and they get real busy and they have all these new ideas and they're making proposals for the next 12 months so they can do two or three months of work again. And I was just like, the, what I want, the way I want to run, I value relationships. I want people, I want to end all of my client engagements with a double handed high five and we part as best friends and maybe we work together in the future, but it's just a great experience. And I keep that relationship strong. That is what builds not job security, but I would call it like career security. So all my engagements are only two to three months. We focus again, like as the, it's called growth sprints, focus on a couple like really core sprints, what I would call product led or content led SEO, another one on revenue focused content. So throwing the SEO tools out the window, not using keywords or anything to guide the content talking. I have what I call a three S strategy, talking to sales success and support teams to find ideas for content. We know if it's coming up on sales calls or support calls unprompted over and over, People are Googling that. I don't care what the SEO tools say. People are Googling that. That will drive a ton of revenue creating that content. Also doubles as sales enablement content. Another sprint around authority building. So harnessing what I call link intent, people Googling for a resource to cite. I always use the example of email marketing statistics, right? From active campaign. I, I think 600 people Google that every month. And I have a really hard time believing there are 600 people that are just pumped to read a page of stats on email marketing. There's, oh, I just, I'm fascinated by this. I just want to read it. Like they don't, they, most of those are writers looking for a stat to cite. So we need to be there. When people are looking for something to link to, let's be there. So there's a sprint around that. And then the last one is conversational marketing. And that's a mix of two different things. Number one, if they're using Drift or HubSpot chat or Intercom on the site, let's, they're already paying for it. Let's optimize that as best we can for conversions. And also some other cool things. Let's use it to learn more about our customers and inform our messaging. A lot of hidden gems that you can use that for that aren't lead gen necessarily, but do some really cool things for the company. You can, I also set up like chatbots for like hiring, just to like support the HR team and stuff. If you think about how important a customer is, think about how important your next big hire is. How do we make a really cool experience so that somebody looking at the careers page is like, oh, this company's different. I want to work here, that sort of stuff. So like supporting the, the marketing org and even the company, the business as a, as a whole. And then also around LinkedIn, I've been getting a ton more as I've grown my presence on LinkedIn, more and more of my clients and more and more of the people that come to me are like, how are you doing this like organic LinkedIn thing? How do we do it? How do we get our CEOs to do it? How do we activate our subject matter experts to do it on LinkedIn? So supporting them there as well in that conversational marketing sprint. I love it. It's really interesting. I love the whole sprint thing. Hire you to help on a kind of sprint for something big to happen, see some results and then come back for more sprints as and when on targeted areas that they need help with. It, it really, it makes sense. It sounds really good. 
just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a B2B technology or professional services company and you want help with streamlining your content operations, outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose, we've got you covered. Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now back to the conversation. In terms of the the businesses that you have been working with and worked with in the past through the agencies, but also obviously your in-house expertise with other businesses like Active Campaign, what do you see as the key areas that are good for businesses like big SaaS businesses to outsource when it comes to the world of content marketing? And what do you see as better to keep in-house Mm, that's a really good question. I think the biggest thing that needs to stay in-house is connection to customers and the strategy. If you're outsourcing strategy to somebody else, and I say that as somebody who does do a fair bit of strategy, right? I do think that the strategy has to be in-house. And what I mean by that is you can bring in somebody else to help with, like I mentioned, my friend, Andrew, like you can bring him into like PLG strategy, right? You can bring me in to, to work on content and SEO strategy, but they have to be the voice of their customer. And they have to be the one that, that really understands strategically how I or anybody else would be able to, you know, support the business. I think that's really key. And a lot of times companies hire people, the confusion is that they hire people and they're like, you give me the strategy. And if there's no way that I, and, and I take a very, I call it like a David Ogilvy approach of inundating myself and all the collateral. If you have, are we sending you too many decks? No, that doesn't exist. You send me all of your decks, persona, sales, like any videos you have, like customer conversations, add me to gong. I'll listen to everything, like that sort of stuff. I want to inundate myself because what ends up happening is some of your best ideas come from a throwaway line on slide 17 of a sales deck. And you're like, oh, that's actually the thing, especially if they have like customer research or audience research or customer research, they've done any sort of like jobs to be done research with their customers, figure out like why people are actually buying the product. But all of that has to come from them. And I think a lot of times they skip that. And they're like, if I just hire this expert or I hire this writing agency or I hire this what ads agency, they're going to do a great job. And it always sucks. It always does on a long enough timeline. Like it's always bad. And you, or mediocre, which might be worse because I feel like bad work, you can just be like, all right, let's end it. Mediocre work drags out and you're like, oh, we just don't have time to deal with this. So they just like we worked with some very mediocre partners at Active Campaign. And uh, I know for a fact that we are, I was in a lot of meetings where I was like, yeah, but do we have the time to vet somebody new? Like at least this is like a, a strong C. Plus. I know we're playing, we're paying a plus money for it, but who has the time? So things like that, those conversations happen. And as somebody who's now returning to the other side of that and the agency consultancy kind of side of things, I don't ever want to, anybody to have that conversation about me where they're like, 
Um, we're already in a contract, so let's just finish it. It's fine, whatever. So I think like that strategic piece and that customer piece has to stay in-house. It also depends on the stage of the company, right? As you become bigger, maybe bring more things in-house. You have more resources, your customer, you have more customers to talk to, that sort of thing. Like you, people are probably exhausted. They're like, say customers one more time, Brendan, say it one more time. Like, <laughs> I, but that's where I stand on it is being in this these big companies and it being like, can I just talk to our customers? And it's no, like they, we have a customer person and we have a customer marketer, marketing manager, and they have a team and they do our customer stories. And it's cool. So I just literally started posting on LinkedIn. I'm like, who do I know that uses active campaign? And I would find 50 people. And I'm like, can I talk to you? My friend, Amanda from Spark Toro has this thing she calls a customer advisory board. And I've stolen that phrase. I think everybody should have that customer advisory board where it's like, there's five to 10 great customers who have paid us a lot of money and are really happy with the product. Whenever I'm thinking of doing anything, I'm just going to run it by these 10 people. And they love it because they get like the scoop, the inside scoop on stuff. And you love it because they're great. They're going to give you the real feedback. So things like that in terms of, in terms of like specifics, I don't know. I think the, the worst thing you can do, I don't have like any specific, yes, you should outsource this. No, you shouldn't outsource that. But I do think if you are going to quote outsource anything, think about it less as outsourcing and more as like a partnership. Yeah. I want to work with 100%. people who are partners mm-hmm. versus go make the thing. There's probably some stuff you can outsource, right? Maybe like things that are not marketing things. There might be other stuff you can outsource. I don't know, creating like an events booth or maybe there's some debt. Like I worked at a web design agency. I was the SEO director there for a couple of years and we outsourced some, we had a like offshore team that did some dev stuff for us on our own things. So there's pieces of that, but I think for the most part, if we're talking marketing and especially digital, look for partners. Yeah. I I resonate so much with what you've just said. And no, we would always call ourselves a a partner as opposed to a outsourced supplier with our clients. And I couldn't agree more with you in terms of what you said about how you wouldn't want any of your clients to just be continuing with you because it was just a bit of a kind of, it was stickier to just stay and you might not be that happy, but can't be bothered leaving. I feel the same. I can say that all the time to my team. I, I want them to always think it is the best thing working with us, not just let's just renew because it's easier that way. Cause that's not how you want the partnership to be, is it? You want to be adding value. So I completely agree with you. What would you say is one of your best content marketing initiatives? So it can be across your career. One of the most standout, just really proud of, look back and just think that was such a fantastic content marketing initiative and, and why? I think, I'm, I think I'm really hard on myself. So immediately when you asked that, my brain like brought up five things. And my, the other part of my brain was like, those are all trash. And here's what you should do. Here's what you would you because my brain automatically is like doing like postmortems, right? This could be better. That could be different. If only you knew this or that, whatever. I think so. Two things. Number one, I'm really proud of the first content initiative that I ever really did for a client. It was, I was still a teacher. I was looking for my first SEO client. And I had a really close friend who's still a very close friend who's local here to me. And he was a wedding photographer. And I helped him with content and I helped him with SEO. And we met after working with him for free for six months, which is something that people are like, how do I get my first client? I always tell him like, work for free for a little bit with people you trust, get those as case studies, and then just market the heck out of those case studies to get other people to pay you. But he came to me after six months. He's like, I've made an extra $42,000 from the work we did compared to over what he was making during that same time last year. 
And that's when you're a wedding photographer, like that's a life-changing amount of money. And that really opened my eyes to the power of the work that we do to really change people's lives. So I'm super proud of that. I'm also super proud, even though if you want to hear like the things I would change and do better, I, we already talked about them actually, like at Active Campaign, we launched a free marketing tools program and we have over 75 free tools. It was very much a cross-functional team effort with all of these different people on the team, but I was the one that created all the page copy and all of the tools, like I made everything. So if you were looking for, I don't even know, like some sort of, some sort of like email or like script or template or something like that related to what we did. I'm the one who like made, if you download it and you're like, oh, this is the like Google slides, or this is the PDF. Like your guy made that PDF. (laughs) Like I made it by myself. There was no other help. So the, that was like, a, and it was a lot. It was huge. We were putting out five a week. I don't even know, like 15 weeks or something. It was outrageous amount of work, but is a whole effort. Like I've never produced anything personally as a contributor. Like I've done strategic work at bigger scales, but like me actually being the maker and like kind of the one like leading strategy along with our SEO manager. That was like a truly heroic amount of stuff. Thankfully, we had uh, Kristen LePink, who's at Gong now. I I called her like our cat herder. She herded the cats and kept us all together from running all different directions. She was wonderful to work with. I would love to work with her again in the future. Gong is really lucky to have her. She like really brought a lot of that together, but I'm really proud of just the volume of work there. I think that's hard to do that amount of work for that, like sustained for that long. Yeah, it does. It sounds very challenging and obviously rewarding to look back and think, wow, (laughs) that was a lot of hard work and it's paid off. So that's cool. Let's talk about any like mishaps or mistakes. So anything that any cautionary tale of content marketing that something didn't go quite to plan. Yeah, I think the, so can we do like my, maybe let's just bridge over to my port, my postmortem on like that. Project, <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. It was wonderful, but it was very myopically focused on SEO ver- and not aligned to our product or how our, cu- how we make money and how our customers benefit. So we were literally just looking for any sort of template. We were looking at competitors. Do they have templates? Cool. We need all of those templates. Do they have any scripts? Let's get all, let's make our own version of all of those things. So it was a lot of that. And like, when you're doing that kind of work and you're like, I don't think that any of this ever turns into business. It's just audience. I think that I would have pushed a lot harder to do more around like every free tool should have been focused on one of two things. So one, either driving more revenue for us and more benefit for our customers through a larger email list. Second was the long-term vision is all of these tools and things I built should be in the product itself. So when you become an active campaign customer and you're writing an email, you have a dropdown or you have some sort of selector of all these like templates. So your email in the structure is already done for you. That's really valuable. Or a nurture sequence. Oh, cool. I want to build a nurture sequence. Click all the emails are there and you just like Mad Lib kind of start filling them in or you have an outline in each one, that sort of stuff. So I would have kept it more focused on either the future vision or the like, how do we make money? How do our customers actually grow with us type of vision? Makes sense. Yeah. As As an active campaign customer, 
as I am, we've been on the active campaign for years now. I totally relate to what you just said about how great it would be to actually have that in there for the customer and build the campaigns in and things like that. That'd just be awesome. Imagine the retention, right? If you signed up and you're like, I need an autoresponder series. And it was like, click, click. And then you just had to go in and write the, and yeah, we have resources on it. They could read this blog post. Not the same. Yeah. No, to actually do that, that'd just be awesome. Yeah. So totally agree. <laughs> um, yep. Three quick fire questions to um, to finish off. So number one, uh, what is one takeaway tip that you would give other content marketers looking to really optimize content output? Um, care and have a point of view. Be, uh, and this is very much my personality, but have, a, I forget who coined this phrase, have a spiky point of view, be a little bit pissed off about something. What in the world are we fixing? What sucks? And be a little bit upset and be ready to fix that sort of thing. And write from that point of view, from the, hey, start your blog post with, hey, this sucks. And they will be like, yeah, that does suck. Cool. Let's explore fixing it together. I have also stolen this from Jay Akunzo. Sorry, I like am neurotic about like citing sources, but Jay Akunzo talks about let's be an explorer in a discover. And I've really taken this to heart. So everything is about like my LinkedIn bio even uses the word explore, exploring what works in SaaS marketing and sharing it along the way. So be like, look, we're going to explore this together in this article, in this video, we'll explore this together, like in this podcast, et cetera. And I think when you combine that with like feeling like there is something broken and wrong that you're fixing. And this is very much my world of like SaaS and software, or even I, I would argue any product B2B, B2C, like if it, it's got to be fixing something or meeting some sort of need, either there's some sort of problem that we're addressing. So be against that problem, right? Don't be you and your customer on opposite sides of the table facing each other, pull their debt, their seat next to yours. Now you're on the same side of the table facing the problem together. I think that when you have that, Output goes up, quality goes up, you become more aligned and it, it does better for the business, which ultimately you can't serve your customers if the business isn't profitable or growing or somehow able to get more and more resources to serve them. It's really hard to, if it's not evolving or like that sort of thing, like even just being able to have more free time to talk to more customers happens when we're making money. So at the end of the day, this is a business, but Making more money also helps your customers. Exactly. Yeah, 100% agreed. <laughs> um, what would you say is a typically overlooked or undervalued tool that you would re recommend to content marketers? SparkToro, without a doubt. SparkToro. I have become obsessed with all of the different cool things that I can do with it. I'm very much not like I'm unofficially a like product evangelist for them. I think no matter what kind of marketing you're doing, audience research, I, I've obsessively talked about talking to customers right now, but a lot of people are like, I don't know where to start, or I don't know who to, finding out who their, your audience's sources of influence are. Now SparkToro is a thing where you can track how that changes over time. That's wild, right? Like they all used to listen to this podcast, but over time they are now listening to this and we can see it going up and it's, oh, that's a, that podcast is on the rise within my audience. Let's sponsor that podcast. So let's be a guest on that podcast. Let's have their podcast host on our podcast, whatever we can do. Let's quote them in an article, like all these different cool things that we can do to share audiences. I was also working with a client the other day and I was looking at two different ways that their audience defines themselves as user experience and user research. 
And what's interesting is the Venn, like looking at the Venn diagram in SparkToro about like how much, like what's the actual overlap there? That was really fascinating. Yeah, I, I think I'm so strong on SparkToro. I love the future of the product. I love the ethos. I also just love like the culture they've built there around like chill work and stuff. Shout out to them. Yeah, I think it's, I, I still think it's a very undervalued tool. I don't see a time when I like stop paying for that. Yeah, agreed. No, I, I like Spark Toro. It's it's really good. And like you said, there's lots of different ways that you can use it. And there's always something new that comes up as well. So yeah, agreed. If you could create any kind of content, so like anything, really no budget restrictions, billboard in Times Square, primetime TV, whatever you, what would be your, you know, ideal type of content that you wanted to create or one-off piece of content? So I would create what I would call, it's this thing I call like a salesumentary. So it's like a documentary, but it's also meant to be like long form to sell something. And really like my model for that is, and by selling something, I don't mean a product. We, there's a wonderful essay by, what's his name? Stuart Butterfield. Is he the founder of Slack? Called like, we don't sell saddles here. And the goal is not to sell more of your product. It is to grow in the world, true demand gen, grow in the world, the number of people who would use your type of product. So I think the guy uh, who bought Topps trading cards, his goal is not to sell more Topps trading cards. It is to grow the market of people who buy trading cards. And it's, okay, cool. That's different. So we're, we might be selling an idea, a lifestyle, right? It's not to sell more saddles. It's to sell horse riding. And the more people that in the world that like horse riding, the more it will sell saddles. That would be my focus. In the sales humanity documentary type of thing, there's this documentary I love. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called I'm Fine, Thanks. Pat Flynn was in it. A couple other people, uh, Chris Gillibo, was really just this idea of people ask each other, hey, how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm fine, thanks. And it's I'm fine, thanks is such code for I'm dying inside. <laughs> yeah. And in that documentary, they just talked about all these alternative ways of living. And this was in 2012. And they're talking about tiny houses and remote working and online entrepreneurship, things that 10 years later, we're like, though, especially in our industry, in our world, right? Like those are normal things that we would know exist. But back then it was just like, wait, what? You can work from a boat and be on the internet. Like that's your job. And now we just call those people freelance writers and it's yeah, normal. So things like that, that just, that sold horseback riding, not saddles. I would create that for whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm selling. I would create that like documentary that sold people on. There's a thing that's broken and we can fix it together. So let's explore that. I, I love that. That's great. Well, when you do that, I will be the first one to watch. So let me know. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> Sounds awesome. So on B2B content strategists, we're speaking to leaders in B2B marketing tech world like yourself. Who do you think we should be speaking to? So who's the standout B2B marketing leader that you think we should be speaking to? Top of mind would be definitely... Jay Akunzo, he's the best. I would also say talk to Sarah Griesenbach. She runs the B2B Writing Academy and is a fantastic writer. I think the two of them would be absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Well, I've spoken to Jay before, but not on the podcast. That's a, a good recommendation. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would also talk to uh, 
Sarah Pion and Bridget Poetker, they both run a podcast called Self-Control and Cheese. And they're both like really strong marketing leaders who have a lot of thoughts and very much embody the ethos of a lot of what we talked about today. I think they're fantastic as well. Awesome. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been a um, fantastic conversation. It's been really good. So thank you. Where would you like listeners to go to to connect with you? You can Google Growth Sprints. That's my agency. It's a work that I do every single day. Or you can Google Brendan Hufford. You can spell it any way you like. It's a very unique name. I feel terrible uh, for people like my buddy, Justin Jackson, who it's just, there's nine professional athletes with the name Justin Jackson. It's, you're never going to out rank them in Google, but Brendan Hufford is a very unique name. So they can Google that. And if you want uh, Google Brendan Hufford, LinkedIn, or just go to LinkedIn and start search Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N, and I'll probably come up there as well. I spend a lot of time connecting with people on LinkedIn. So if you want to actually have a conversation, that would definitely be the best place to start. Awesome. Okay, cool. As people always say on podcasts, I will add the links in the show notes as well. So everyone can click on over and connect with you on LinkedIn and, and all of that good stuff. Cool. Well, thank you, Brendan. Been a fantastic conversation. So thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Amy. Thanks so much. I know your time is really valuable and I really appreciate your audience listening to this. If anybody has any questions or follow-ups, I'd love to field those. Thanks for having Brilliant. me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. Do let me know what you thought of our conversation by getting in touch with me on social media. You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com where you'll find information and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.